Today on Parent Time, I talk to Joe Maylander, one half of the Grammy-nominated and winning children's act, The Okie Dokie Brothers, on Benny Asking People Questions. My next guest, along with his good friend Justin Lansing, landed on the American children's music scene in 2012 with the album Can You Canoe, an album written entirely in a canoe, floating down the Mississippi. That album went on to win a Grammy for Best Children's Release. Drawing on American folk, roots, bluegrass, and using nature as their cafe, they have penned two more albums in the Adventure Album series, both gaining Emmy nominations, the latest being Saddle Up, a Western adventure album. An album about as authentically Western as its title. I am talking, of course, about Joe Maylander from the Okie Dokie Brothers, and he joins me live all the way from Minnesota. Uh, hi, Joe. Thanks for answering the phone. Oh, of course. Nice to talk to you today. Um, so if we can just start right at the top. Obviously, you and Justin have been writing music for a long time together, but I get the impression that this isn't the first time you've actually been penning songs together. That's right. Yeah, we we've kind of grown up together since we were three. So we've been in bands starting in high school uh, together. We of course started just playing other people's songs, but we started songwriting in in high school, kind of based off of our heroes like Bob Dylan and Paul Simon and uh, John Denver. So yeah, the first song I ever wrote was with Justin, and uh, vice versa. So it's been a, a long relationship of collaboration going back and forth and making each other's art a little bit better by running running it by the other guy yeah sure at what stage did the two of you actually look at each other and go here's a great idea for kids albums let's do adventure albums (laughs) well we were on a road trip together just taking some time off and we had headed down the great river road which parallels the river and we looked over there and we saw a group of people canoeing down the river down the mississippi and we thought um, that looked like a lot of fun. And how could we tie that into what we were doing at the time, which was, um, you know, playing schools and libraries and parks. And we said, let's let's instead of just singing about nature, let's actually get out there and, and do something about it. So we unplugged for 30 days and, and wrote wow. this album. We don't need a motor. We don't need a sail. And we don't need... We don't need a tail Let's just keep it simple We'll each get an oar Paddle out to no man's lake And float till we can no more Can you canoe? So you actually were doing children's music before this. Were you not doing originals or...? Oh, we were doing originals. It was just, uh, it wasn't as focused, you know. We'd, we'd done no. a couple albums. It was just more uh, random songs for kids, you know, and and this one just when we started with the Adventure Album series, it was more of a a story about the actual place we were in and the regional music. Um, And and so, yeah, we do kind of look at that as our beginnings of of our current form of the Okie Dokie Brothers. Sure. And and did you ever actually discuss what age you were? pitching it out because um there's a vast different like when i was listening to can you canoe i kind of got that sense of that real uh six three to six kind of vibe uh-huh. but then obviously moving on to the latest stuff i felt it was moving i guess more into that family type of concept yeah. i mean did you ever actually sit down and go this is where we're pitching it or was it you know here's the music who's into it <laughs> a little bit of both you know of course um 
at first we knew that that our prime demographic there for what kids music could resonate with was yeah like you say about three to six or three to eight um we loved playing second grade classrooms we knew that right there around seven or eight was a really nice um age group for us but um I would say as we went on writing these albums and watching our fans interact with grandparents and parents and teenagers alike, we kind of grew with our fan base as they grew up. We also grew up a little bit, and we said, let's just make some good family music for for all ages. And um, since we're not, you know, early childhood experts by any means on (laughs) development or brain function, we, we said... You know what? We're gonna throw it out there and hope that the kids grow into it. They reach for the concepts, their minds expand, and they start conversations with uh, adults about what these songs mean. Is there a method in choosing the locations you take these 30 days off on, or is it just kind of like, oh my God, look at that, let's go and do that for a month? (laughs) The method actually, it has to be rooted in the style of music that we're interested in emulating or honoring. So um, we started, of course, with the river tunes, and there are kind of sea shanty feels to these working songs that... um, Guys used to sing on the boats and and the whole culture of of river dances and um, and there's a, there's a culture down south especially along the river that we were emulating and 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 trying to kind of nod to and I would say our next choice was chosen because we were interested in old time Appalachian uh, folk music old time music bluegrass roots um, that Americana feel that we wanted to learn more about we headed there and we asked experts about the instrumentation and the history of the music. And and that's what led us to the Appalachian Trail album and Through the Woods, uh, you know, writing about hiking. Yeah, right. So it's almost like you come at it as in you like the musical style first, then find the history wrapped around that, then choose your path. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they go hand in hand with the West. It was obvious, you know, we wanted to do something with a little Western vibe to it. And we're talking old school Western, you know, outlaw Western, not necessarily the contemporary pop country that a lot of people hear on the top, whatever, 50 radio. Um, It that drew us in. And then we're like, yeah. And of course, the Rocky Mountains and the Continental Divide and, and horses, they it was kind of a one two punch there that was um the obvious next step for us because of where we were interested in and what would be a thing where we would grow in our skills in the outdoors you know we're not horsemen and uh we grew into that and we had to learn some things to take that trip which was exciting we used to sit around the fire telling tales about the days of old we'd reminisce about the times we This is probably a pretty cliche question, but I mean, finding yourself in that situation, I guess, particularly if you're talking uh, folk music as well, I'm assuming you get a a much deeper understanding as to why the music exists in the first place. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. 
you start feeling it um, when you're in the region, you know, and the landscape shapes the melodies and the, the culture shapes the lyrics. And, and you see how music really is, is a product of its setting. I mean, as an Australian, I don't know much about the Mississippi River, but what we do know is that kind of Tom Sawyer adventure type of thing. And it was funny listening to Can You Canoe. I mean, that is really what I imagine that experience yeah. to be. I mean, and similarly with Saddle Up, I mean, are these big projects for you? Like, at what point, particularly musically, at what point do you say, look, I think we're now being fair to the concept or are we still being tokenistic? I mean, how deep do you need to go? Yeah, you got to go pretty far because you do want to avoid that yeah, well, um, at least you know, 30 days tokenism. Into the bush, as it turns out. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't want to you don't want to just cover your bases and create a stereotype or a a token of of what you're doing there. You want to actually progress and not just check off the boxes. Um out west, that was the biggest one for us, you know, we wanted to acknowledge Native American history. We wanted to acknowledge the Southwest history of Mexican Americans and, and Mexicans themselves as that was their territory before America kind of uh, swept it up. And, and I would say um, those are the types of things that we expect, you know, our fans expect of us too, to kind of push ourselves and learn something rather than just kind of phone it in, right? And just say, everybody knows, you know, the West is about cowboys and and you know all the cowboy hats and boots and we can just kind of fill in the blanks you know we didn't want to do that and i think that would be disrespectful for the region so we do we do the most we can i'll tell you it's a full-time deal especially with that 30-day trip to plan out and to record a dvd while we're out there and a cd and write the liner notes it's a it's about all we can really handle for a two-year project. Yeah, and uh, setting up a tent every night, I imagine. That's right. Oh, here we go. Doesn't matter if you call it Stetson or a sombrero. It's the hat that steers the herd. Doesn't matter if you call it. Um, so obviously you had been writing music before this. Was this a kind of method or interest you had already tapped into or has this really been a bit of a learning curve for you, this whole um, okie-dokie brothers approach? Yeah, it was a learning curve. I mean, I'll, I'll say the two things that popped out that kind of were presented to us, one was the idea of limitations, creating actually more artistic freedom. Um, you think that it's going to limit you, right? If you say, we're just going to be writing about this one specific theme. Well, turns out all these doors open up and, and they're more unique ways of expressing yourself anyway. Uh, versus, you know, sky's the limit. What do you want to write about? Sometimes yeah, you end a up blank page. Again and again and again. Yeah, and it's kind of uh, hard to get tracking when you don't have those limitations. That's one. The other beautiful thing about starting to write kids music that came out was just the idea of simplicity, um, not necessarily just the easy, low, low hanging fruit, right? I'm talking simplicity once you've kind of worked through some complexities in your head. And then on the other side, you, you whittle it down to something universal. That is hard to do. And uh, it's a challenge of ours to write and multi-generational song that that kids will get but then also parents will see some hidden messages uh, yeah appreciate in, the that musicianship. they can talk about because i imagine when you're opening the door to a whole new 
style of music. I imagine being a musician and someone who's interested in music, it would be quite um, overwhelming, uh, a bit like a kid in a candy store. And I imagine it would be hard to not become self-indulgent a bit mm. because you would have access to these new sounds and new musical concepts and things. I mean, did you and Justin, I mean, you talked about this just a bit earlier with simplicity, but was it a bit difficult for the two of you to go, oh, you know, this is a bit much, let's pull this back a bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we, we end up writing about 30 songs for every album and then we we cut it in half, right? And we just go with with the ones that really uh, are authentic. And a lot of the ones we cut are the ones that are what you would assume, what you're kind of hinting at is the ones that would be the obvious choice or the indulgent, you know, step. And we, we kind of put those away so that you can't necessarily, you know, the viewer doesn't know how we got to the more evolved maybe concepts because we dropped some of the, uh, you know, uh, process on the way to getting there. Um, Oh, okay, yeah. yep. So the less obvious tunes or something you mean, like getting more to the nuts and bolts of the genre? Is is that what you're talking about? Right, yeah, yeah. But of course we're going to leave some of those songs in as an entry point for listeners. You know, those first couple songs bring you in and you don't want to start on step 10 and nobody know where you're at. Yeah, so sure. um, it's always a fine balance of making sure you're being, uh, what's the word, accessible, right, and inviting uh, while not being too highfalutin that you're on some other level of concepts that nobody really cares. Mr. Mississippi got married in the fall. They left the church that very same day for the honeymoon in St. Paul. Singing M I double S I double S I P P I M I double S I double S I P P I. Is it a pretty difficult task? I mean, most people, I imagine, have images of a month on a trail, for example. You've got a guitar slung over your back and you say, this is a nice spot, let's pull over, punch out a tune. But you, you know, you had someone filming you. I mean, were you potentially writing a song a day? Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. You know, we weren't, we, I would love to have written, you know, those exact 30 songs on that, that, that trip, but it's not how it goes. You know, we look at our trip while it is only 30 days we're out there, it's the two years that we're making this album, getting ready for the trip, after the trip, reflecting on what just happened. You know, we are writing constantly, just getting the muscles of, of writing a song in shape before the trip, coming up with ideas versus getting kind of the obvious stuff out of the way. And then when you're on that trip, those are when those moments hit where you take notes on, this is how I'm feeling, this is a real authentic moment. And then you kind of have the rough ideas there and later you can really shape those up when you've got some time and you're not worrying about your next meal, where to set up your tent and how to get to point A to point B. concept of the Okie Dokie Brothers seems to be the celebration of, uh, in Australia, what we call the outback or being in the bush. But there's one thing a little bit different about what you do. Often in children's music, when people talk about the wild or nature, there tends to be an overt uh, aspect of teaching about 
the environment or protection of the environment. You know, we need to protect the environment because of X, Y, Z. And it's usually pretty obvious and, and blatant, but you don't seem to do that. I mean, I get the obvious sense that you and Justin are quite passionate about the outdoors and exploration and having children experience that exploration, but you seem to do it from the perspective of let's celebrate how wonderful and unique these experiences are as, I guess, opposed to hey, you better look after this or it'll be gone. <laughs> right. Are you yeah. conscious of that? Have you been quite conscious of if there is a message, the message you're trying to deliver to family and kids? Well, yeah, that's a great observation. I'd love to talk about it because to me it is really interesting and not to get too technical, but if you know you look at human behavior and how behavior has actually changed in communities, it usually isn't from somebody telling somebody to do something a certain way. Right. Um, intrinsic motivation comes from, you know, having an experience that moves you to loving a certain thing and caring about a certain thing so that later, you know, you'll make the right decisions due to your personal, you know, attachment to whatever that is. So our whole idea when it comes to human behavior is, of course, we want kids to take care of the environment and grow up to be stewards of the earth. We're not going to write a song called Be a Steward of the Earth. One, it's kind of already done. People do it all the time, so we don't <laughs> yeah, need to as, do it as again. As you said that, I thought, I think I've actually heard three songs called Stewards <laughs> of the Earth. Right, right. Two, um, I really think if they go out and are ex you know excited about getting outdoors, have these adventures, learn to look at nature, and at night you know look up at the stars and say, wow, this is special. I'm going to grow up to take care of this. And I didn't need anybody to tell me to do it. It's intrinsically there. And I think we don't give kids credit enough to know that like they can come to that on their own. Obviously it was quite conscious in the beginning, but do you find yourself with Justin now going, what about a line like this and having a soundboard who goes, um, it's a bit much mate, pull it back a bit. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do have, you know, those moments of like, we're going to put at least, you know, two or three of these more, you know, message leaning songs on an album. Like Lighten Your Load is a good example of that. Um, I can't think of some right now, but, you know, they're going to have those little great divides. A good one. Great divide. Yeah, exactly. That's a good one. Brother. Uh, hopefully the metaphors kind of mask the message where like not mask, but like where you, you feel more attached to the metaphor than the message. And so sometimes I'll write a long line that's more direct and Justin will say, let's pull that thing back. So I mean, you can really hear that. I mean, the topics are quite, uh, apart from the more traditional kid-esque ones, the topics are really quite deep. They're not traditional type kids themes. I mean, do you have a list of things you want to discuss when you start an album? I mean, particularly if you're looking at the music and engulfing yourself in the musical style, does that leave you a lot of space to kind of go, oh, this music lends itself to a song about... For example, a song about us not communicating, let's make it around the Great Divide, or do you have um, separately, look, I want to write 10 to 15 songs that address these things? Mm. Well, uh, maybe we'll start off with some vague ideas of like what what the river could represent or what the trail and walk, walking together represent. But it's not until you know we actually go out there. Honestly, the Great Divide, was the, the big idea for that was written uh was written on the great divide when we were having an argument and <laughs> yeah, uh lighten and lighten your load was written because we brought too much stuff on our backs you know and i guess i just wouldn't have come up with those ideas so clearly 
if I if I didn't have that exact experience. So I would say a little bit of both because I'd be lying if I didn't say we had some uh, notion of, ooh, this will be cool. I could totally see us writing about um, how a horse can teach us more than this or that, even before getting on a horse. But then you get on the horse and you actually get the more authentic lines from the experience. Yep. Yeah, sure. I mean, you definitely get that across. There's a great divide that makes the rivers and the rains flow to the western ocean or run through the eastern plains. So you go east and I go west. You go where the sun rises and I go where it sets. Do you both share the lyric writing or do you mainly do it yourself? Oh, we share it. So I would say there's two different approaches of how it happens. Sometimes we'll write a song completely separate from each other and, and then bring it to the other guy and have him do small edits, you know, change this word. I, I maybe do a different m melody here, maybe a different chord here. That's one way of doing it. And then sometimes there's straight up, you know, what about this idea? And from the very beginning, we, we work it through. How do you find children respond? Because they are very poetic lyrics. Um, there's some great examples I have here. Gold leaf pillow for my head, feel like a king on a king-size riverbed. The stars turn into pearls on high-heeled girls getting ready for a night on the town. The end is just another place to start. I mean, these kind of lyrics, I mean, A, they're, I mean, they're beautiful. Like you were saying about the metaphors and things and how you use them to explain things that may be relevant to children and families. I mean, they are really quite beautiful but they are quite metaphoric and deep i mean do you find yourself having to explain to children what the message is or do you have parents and adults telling you yeah look i had to talk to my talk my kid through this <laughs> yeah we've never talked a kid through it you know we're not here to kind of explain necessarily our art uh maybe maybe they've asked it's more they come up to the table and they say Hey, I got the gold leaf reference. Right. Oh, the people people use that. Oh, cool. How'd you figure that out? Well, I had a conversation with grandpa about it and he kind of turned me on to it or or something. And and that's the whole kids' brains are so ready at that, you know, five, six, seven year old age to just expand and absorb as much of this stuff. You know, it's more than a forty year old's brain. They're more uh ready to learn. And if we give them that ability uh, or that opportunity to stretch, I think they'll 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 get it and they'll say why why is it important that um, you know they don't just talk about the stars blatantly? Why do they um, do it through another thing? And it's like, well, what a great time to learn what metaphor is while your brain is not jaded and while you know half of your reality is imagination anyway. Yeah, and half the things you see around you, you don't know what they are. Um, there's a New Zealand children's author uh, by the name of Pamela Allen, and she does this thing where she talks about every time she writes a children's book, she puts a word or a phrase in it that she, quite intentionally, that she knows the kids won't understand. Because she knows, similarly to what you're saying, they're going to mm. ask, they're going to find out and ask what that means. And she does this intentionally as a learning yeah. tool for them. Um, sure. With the songs, particularly with Saddle Up, I, I really got the sense of literally sitting around a campfire and writing those songs. Oh, nice. When you take those songs, so you rough the skeletons when you're out on the trail, I guess, but then you get back, do you 
take them to a band, do jam them out with a band, or by the time you get to the studio, have you and Justin are pretty clear on what the overall sound is? Well, we'll do this thing we call, you know, pre-production with our with our producer, where we'll go take a trip to the studio in New York uh, just for demos, right? And this is where we're just kind of it's a laboratory of of sounds and experimenting with feels and tempos and keys. And that one, you know, we'll learn a lot of things during that week of just trial and error of like, you know, in it, of course, you have to use your imagination because we don't have the band there. We just say, oh, this one's a two-step, clearly, you know, an acoustic bass on this with maybe some slide in the background, light piano, and that's it. And um, maybe a harmonica or something like that. And, and, and more there, we're feeling out um, the feel, if you know what I mean. Not necessarily like all the details. And to me, the most important part about a song is the tempo and the feel of, you know, what is this song? Is it trying to be a big splash or is it trying to be this other subtle message? Anyway, that's pre-production. Then when we get to the studio, that's really the first time we'll ever play them live with a band is maybe, you know, just a half hour before we record the thing. Yeah, wow. Uh, you must have very competent musicians that know you well. Yeah, we charted out and, and they, they get the hang of it. And we're prepared. You know, we're not that good. We couldn't do that on the spot. But we've practiced for the studio, you know, months in advance to, to make sure we're comfortable with the songs. Yeah, I wish I lived in country so i could run around the grass is always greener there's a lap steel solo on that mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> who is that it's, it's oh amazing. yeah well i think gosh if i'm uh, so we had two two steel players on that album one guy his name was fooch and the other one was cindy cash dollar and i'm trying to remember who actually i think it was cindy cash dollar uh ended up doing that solo from nashville uh, that's a particularly great name for a lap steel player. Well, for anyone, I know. actually. Really? Yeah, it was a God-given name, too. Um, now, I've only got you for a few more minutes, but um, just quickly, your live shows. Did you find them quite different when you found yourself in front of a children's audience i mean although you you'd sort of been doing this prior anyway yeah we did a lot of schools and libraries and parks and you know family nights uh coming up and in just getting the idea of what it's like to perform for families so we were really loving it already the participatory nature of children's music and family music is so great um we love the call and response stuff and just how each performance is different because uh, you never know what the kids are going to do. Uh, we do a lot of volunteer stuff, instruments, you know, all that. And and now, of course, as we do theaters, we do a little less of the the basic stuff, and we do more of the song performing stuff. But we always keep an element in there of of participation. Every Every one of our songs has at least one thing the audience can hold on to um, to keep them interested. Yeah, sure. Um, just lastly, you recently recorded a song with or for the Minnesota Zoo for one of their conservation programs. Um, 
I actually really loved this song, largely because it felt like a real departure from the other things you record. You you wrote this song, yeah? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, uh, of course, Justin had a lot of say in it too, but uh, I'm the one singing that song, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Because there was a real sense you weren't really bound by any musical rules. Well, not rules, but the things things I'd heard on the Okie Dokie Brothers, you were trying to get across these particular music genres you'd been exploring. Whereas this song jumped out at me as a song that I got the impression you were doing for the freedom of just writing a song. Exactly. It had totally different instrumentation. It had synth lines in there. I mean, particularly with the Okie Dokie Brothers hat on, and even though it was just a song, did it feel quite nice to... Yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that. ...to pinch it with musical guidelines? Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. It's exactly what it is, is because it lives on its own and doesn't have to play a part of a bigger... Uh, point to show a genre we did get to kind of do some different chords and production and vocal quality that um, might not have fit as well on one of our adventure albums and it felt really nice to do that Um, and I would say you know when we started off we were much more genre free uh, just whatever goes kind of guys and and actually the next project we're working on is a little less strict on the genre uh basis too and it's really nice to stretch your legs a little bit and and try that out um i think while a band is still defining itself it's good to keep yourself in a more traditional you know direction uh but as as you've established it and grow i think it's awesome to to experiment and stretch a little bit more yeah i mean like you're saying sometimes it's easy to have those boundaries musically and uh lyrically but i think it can also be quite i mean i would imagine it does get quite musically exhausting to spend years to be going okay so this is now the genre we're in and this is what we're exploring and yes you would gain extraordinary knowledge but at the same time you would be thinking you know i don't want to have to worry about any of that just sit down and write freely well thank you for your time today joe oh of course this was a pleasure yeah taking the phone call from all the way over there in the states uh we really appreciate it and i believe the rumor mill over here is talking about trying to get you um to come out to australia oh that'd be nice we'd love to come visit uh well we're on the job um trying to swing it i'll say um i've got cousins over there and i think they were in rockhampton there for a while north uh east and I think, I don't know if they're in Melbourne now or somewhere. Um, but yeah, I'd, it's one of my things to get over there someday. So if you're ever uh, coming up with an idea or a little you know, tour of venues, shoot it our way and we'll see if we can make it happen. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time today. And look, they're really beautiful albums. I mean, we know a bit about you over here, but having the opportunity to sit down and go through your work to prepare for this was, you know, it was really it was a real genuine joy and um, pleasure to learn more about what you do and the things you bring to the table and the things you are bringing to children. Um, and it's terribly unique. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for, you know, I could tell from the questions that you had done your homework and that's really nice. Um, yeah, and I got a chance to see some of your videos and check oh, okay. out your site too. So that's that's sweet, man. It's cool what you guys are doing. Oh, well, look, thanks again. And um, yeah. All right. That's cool. All right. Well, you have a good one. Yeah, to you too, mate. Take care. All right. Bye. See you later. 
If you'd like to know more about Joe and Justin and their work, you can visit their website at okidoki.org. That's O-K-E-E-D-O-K-E-E.org. And of course, for more Parent Time goodness, you can visit www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me, Benny. Ask people questions. Wow.